Good morning, and I want to give you a very warm welcome to Jubilee this morning. There'll be lots of time at the end for you to carry on your conversations over a, a hot drink in the corridor. Um, but my name is Sue, I'm part of the leadership team, and it's my privilege today to be able to speak to you in our series, Living in Exile. Last week, Dan started off our series and he was speaking um, on Daniel 1 and he set the scene for us, explaining how Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, were captured, taken into captivity in Babylon and put into training for the king's service. It was a form of indoctrination to the, to the culture and the values of the Babylonian empire. But they remained faithful even in exile, and they refused to compromise their faith and eat the choice food that the king was offering them. They proved that there is a God in Babylon, and Dan asked us whether we are going to live with strong convictions of our faith or whether we're going to live with compromise. Today I'm going to speak on Daniel chapter 2, and this is such an exciting chapter. But even more exciting to me today, as I've been sat here, is the way that God has been repeatedly speaking about things that are in my notes. He's wanting to really get the message through to us through his Holy Spirit here. So I'm going to look at the next challenge that Daniel and his three friends faced and see what their example teaches us today. So if you have a Bible, please can you turn to Daniel chapter 2 or you can follow it on the screens around us. There's quite a lot of Bible in what I'm saying today, but that's really good because our lives are based on the Bible. Um, but it's a story and I want to do justice to the story by us seeing the fullness of it. So, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more, they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. 
So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. So here we have Nebuchadnezzar, the ruling tyrant, sleep-deprived, so probably even more demanding and enraged than usual. He had assembled all his wise men and those with ungodly spiritual powers, yet they know their limitations, and even in their unbelief, they are confessing that there is a God whose power is greater even than theirs. But that God is not around in the palace to answer the king's question. The result looks likely to be the full-scale execution of all the wise men, including Daniel and his friends. So verse 14 continues. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh, harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went in to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Now, I don't know about you, I've never had anyone that I know of wanting to kill me. But if I did, and if someone had just given an order for my death, I wouldn't pop round to see them. Yeah? But Daniel wasn't acting with human wisdom. The promotion that he was granted in chapter 1 could have been dangerous for him. It could have enticed him and his three, three friends away from God. But here we see a man who had proved God's faithfulness when he chose to act in a countercultural way in chapter 1. And now he stands firm in his belief again. In fact, Daniel was so assured that God was going to come through for him, even when faced with death, that his response wasn't fear or flight, but absolute confident faith. So confident that he could not only walk right into Nebuchadnezzar, but he could ask the king to wait so he could tell him what his dream meant. So verse 17, then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to please for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Daniel went back to his friends. They didn't panic. They didn't start a pity party. They weren't saying, if only we'd never been promoted. If only we weren't the king's wise men. If only we'd not been captured. If only we were still in Jerusalem. And they didn't blame the enemy. Oh, the devil's having a real go at us today. No. They prayed. They asked God for mercy. They knew that God had put them there for this very purpose. They were utterly dependent on him for their very lives, but they had no doubt that God was in control. So verse 19 says, During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. 
I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. The friends asked God for mercy and he showed mercy. And their response was worship. Their faith meant they could trust God and have confidence in his power and his gifts. They didn't even need to wait for Nebuchadnezzar to say, yep, Daniel, you've got it right. They had such assurance that God had revealed the dream and its meaning that their immediate response was worship. And the four men didn't immediately rush off to the palace to speak to the king. Their focus was God they stopped. They could pause in God's presence before dealing with the crisis. I think that would have been countercultural then, and it certainly is now. If you've got a pressure day at work, if you've got a challenging conversation, maybe with a family member or maybe with a colleague, do you rush into it, jump in, say the wrong thing, or do you stop? and worship God first, acknowledging your need of him. So verse 24, then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon and said to him, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mysteries he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Here we see Daniel, a man holding the knowledge that can save not just him, not just his friends, but all the wise men of Babylon without pride or arrogance, but he's speaking out in humility. That is in total contrast to Arioch, who declared, I have found a man. No, he didn't. Daniel went to him. But he was speaking out of his own self-importance, trying to promote himself before the king, trying to make himself look good. But most strikingly is that before telling the king the dream and the interpretation, Daniel actually corrects him. This man who has threatened to kill people, one of the, one of the versions says to tear them limb from limb if they can't explain the dream and tell him what the dream was. Daniel was so confident in God that he was willing to disagree with the king of Babylon who holds his life in his hands and explain that it isn't his ability, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. That changes everything. Phil Moore, a church leader and theologian based in London, wrote, this is the password that unlocks the power of God's kingdom for his people. It is the statement, I can't, but God can. Our hopes of spiritual breakthrough are never thwarted by the fact that the Lord is too weak. They are only ever thwarted by the fact that we believe ourselves to be too strong. There is a God in heaven. 
Are you repeatedly being pulled back in your addiction? There is a God in heaven. Is your marriage struggling at the moment? There is a God in heaven. Are you worrying about your kids and the pressures that they are facing? There is a God in heaven. There is a God in heaven who wants to enter into every situation that challenges us and make a difference in our lives if we let him. Daniel then tells the king about his dream and explains what it meant. The dream was of a huge statue with a golden head, a silver torso, bronze thighs, iron legs and feet that were partly made of iron and partly of clay. The statue was struck by a rock that was not made by human hands. The whole statue was destroyed and it was scattered. But the rock grew into a huge mountain and filled the whole world. And the interpretation that Daniel gave in verse 44 is that the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. King Nebuchadnezzar was a conquering king. His aim was to increase his kingdom by power and force. This statue and the interpretation, it was the worst possible future for Nebuchadnezzar. His kingdom would be overthrown. Verse 35 says it would be blown away. Gone. Nebuchadnezzar needed to grasp the fact that the rule of Babylon, what he was building, would pass away. So instead, he could start seeking God's kingdom. And each of us has to do the same. While we try to build our kingdom our way, the way the culture around us builds, our ambitions, our achievements, our material gains, we are not building God's kingdom. And Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus not only taught it, but he modeled it. He denied himself. He chose the way of the cross so that God's eternal kingdom could be established. It was only through the laying down of his life that Jesus could give us eternal life so that we can be part of that kingdom that grows, that fills the whole world and will endure forever. Today, we're not just Jubilee here. We are part of something bigger. We are part of God's everlasting kingdom. Today, if you don't know that reality in your own life, if you've never chosen to live your life for God rather than living it for yourself, then at the service, please come and speak to me or to Dan or Kristen who are hosting. And we would love to share with you how you too can know this, how you too can become a Christian. As Daniel was recounting the king's dream and explaining its meaning, he repeatedly was speaking of the God of heaven. That was acceptable in the royal courts. In Babylon, people believed in many, many different gods. The God of heaven was another God to them. Daniel was meeting the king where he was at. And that is what we need to do this. As we are sharing our faith, we need to use language that is relevant to the people we're speaking to so that they can grasp in the places that God has put us. Yet still, 
without compromise. Daniel then took a step further in verse 45 and he says, the great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. He's basically saying to the king, this is the dream that has kept you awake at night. It's true. Your kingdom isn't going to last forever, but the great God, one who is more powerful than you, his kingdom will. You can imagine the silence in the royal palace. No one moves, no one speaks. No one dares do anything. Will Daniel be torn limb from limb for getting it wrong? Will he be torn limb from limb for getting it right and predicting the king's downfall? Will Nebuchadnezzar react with faith or with fury? So verse 46, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all the wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This, this is the Babylonian names for his friends. He appointed them administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court." So Daniel, this man of humility, is now allowing the king to bow to him. What, what's happened? Has Daniel lost it? No, what's happened is that Daniel is continuing to show respect and honor to the king. As the king bowed down to Daniel, he was submitting to his dream. Until that point, the only other person that the king would ever have bowed down to would have been his own father. But here he is confessing by his actions in the royal court, Daniel's God is the greatest. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't choosing to follow this God himself at that point, but he was taking one step closer. Daniel knew it was God who had put him there and he wasn't going to start criticizing Nebuchadnezzar for bowing down to him. So the result, Daniel and his three friends are promoted again from captured men in exile to highly influential officials, positions where they had incredible opportunity to promote the peace and prosperity of the city to which they'd been carried in, in, in exile, as Jeremiah the prophet had prophesied in Jeremiah 29. They didn't wait for God's kingdom to be established. They didn't wait for the kingdom to fill the whole earth. They accepted where God had put them and they started to make a difference. Daniel knew God, he heard God, he obeyed God. His security in God meant he was able to live an uncompromised life of faith, even in exile, even when facing death. And so he was able to make a huge difference where God had put him. Not many of us here have faced death because of our faith. Sadly, many around the world do, and Dan has already encouraged us today to be praying in that way. 
But every day, we have to make decisions about how we act, what we say, what we listen to, who we spend time with, what we watch, what we read, what we scroll through. And increasingly, in this nation, what is socially acceptable is no longer in alignment with the truth in scripture. So how do we manage our lives without compromising our faith? Romans 12 verse 1 and 2 says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. As Christians, our lives are to be lived as an offering to God, responding to the incredible love and mercy that he has poured out upon us. We're not to follow the pattern of this world, the pattern that we see all around us. A definition of pattern is a reliable sample of traits, acts, tendencies, or other observable characteristics of a person, group, or institution. It's a bit of a mouthful that, isn't it? But do you go along with the traits, with the acts, with the characteristics of the non-Christian people around you? Maybe the trait of being short-tempered rather than patiently listening. Maybe the acts of social media self-promotion rather than humility. The tendency to retaliate and prove your point rather than forgiving. The characteristic of worrying rather than trusting God. I'm not saying that all non-Christians live a bad life at all, but our pattern, it must be the Bible, not just what we see around us. The message version of that passage, the message is an easy to understand version rather than a direct translation, says, so here's what I want you to do, do oh, start again, here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. One of the phrases that I've heard increasingly over the last couple of years is, it's such a worry, isn't it? Not just it's such a worry, but it's such a worry, isn't it? Have you heard, heard that phrase? Yeah, and people are wanting a response. COVID, it's such a worry, isn't it? The war in Ukraine, it's such a worry, isn't it? The cost of living crisis, it's such a worry, isn't it? I'm not saying none of these things or any of these things are a challenge to us. But 
during the pandemic when people said, it's such a worry, isn't it? I tried, and I try now not to say yes. Yes, it was really hard. And I, I don't believe we've actually seen the full fallout of it, especially among our children and young people. But I tried to respond to the worry assumption by saying, I was praying, or I'd simply encourage people. Who knows what is going on in Putin's head at the moment? But am I going to give way to worry? No, we have a God who has an eternal kingdom. We have a God, as, as was brought earlier, who is above it all. And with the energy hike, again, as people say, oh, it's such a worry, isn't it? I'm not going to say, yes, it is. Even a few weeks ago, someone said it to me, and I was able to say, yeah, it's, it's a mess. It's a mess where our country is at, in at the moment. But I was able to share how, as a church, we're looking, along with, with the city, at how we can possibly be a warm bank where we can show love to people in our city by them coming in and using our building when it's heated and they can't afford heating at home. I don't want to be so well-adjusted to my culture that I say, yeah, I'm really worried. My confidence is in God, and what I say needs to demonstrate that. We can only be transformed by the renewing of our mind, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and not by our own efforts. But we do need to guard our minds. We need to guard what we watch, guard what we listen to. Sometimes it's straightforward. That's wrong. But sometimes it's not easy. Is this right? Isn't it right? Can, can I go along with what my friends are doing or not? I know I don't always get it right myself, but I ask myself two questions when I'm struggling. Should I, shouldn't I? Would I do this, watch this, say this, if Jesus was sat in the room with me? Not just knowing the Holy Spirit is within me, but if Jesus was actually sat in the room, would I do it? And the second question I ask myself is, does this make me love Jesus more? Does listening to that music make me love Jesus more? Does spending two hours watching this film make me love Jesus more? Or do I come away feeling anxious, feeling dissatisfied, feeling frustrated? Daniel and his friends prayed for God's mercy when Nebuchadnezzar demanded to be told his dream and the meaning. And the passage that I've just read in Romans 12 says to offer our bodies as living sacrifices because of God's mercy to us. His mercy at the cross enables us to have new life, lives that we can live for him through the power of the Holy Spirit. So let us, let each one of us, be like Daniel, knowing God, hearing God, obeying God, and able to make a difference in the places God chooses to put us. Because whatever we face this week, there is a God in heaven, and one day his kingdom will fill the whole of this earth, that everlasting kingdom. Can you stand, please? And can the band come up?
I want to pray for us now. I want to pray for every one of us here, everyone watching online. And we all, we all do many, many right things, but there's times when all of us get it wrong, don't we? We get it wrong. We, we follow the pattern of this world. We forget that there is a God in heaven that changes everything. And first of all, I want, I want to pray. I want to lead you in praying that, that where, where we've got it wrong, myself included, that we will know God's forgiveness. We will know that, that freedom. I don't want you to go from here beating yourself up that it's about where, where you have made wrong decisions. But I want everyone to go from here knowing God's forgiveness today. But also, I'm going to pray for us that we will have a fresh understanding of God putting us in the places that he's chose to put us. So yeah, can we pray? Father God, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for the power of the cross. I thank you that in Jesus, each of us can know forgiveness. In Jesus, each of us can know your grace. And Lord, I want to pray that where there's been times where we, we've compromised our faith, where there's been times we haven't lived in a countercultural way, where we haven't lived in accordance with your word, that you would pour your forgiveness into our lives. Father, just now, as, as you remind us of things, let us bring them to you and, and ask for your forgiveness, ask for your help, ask for your freeing, where we've made wrong decisions, where we've taken wrong actions. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are a God who comes to, to set us free. We worship you. And Father, I want to pray for each one of us that we will know, even this week, that you are a God who has put us here. You are a God who has put us in our families, put us on our streets, put us in our workplaces, put us with our friends, that even this week, Lord God, we will have opportunity to show the God in heaven even where you have put us. Lord, I pray that you will give us a fresh, a fresh ability to take hold of those, those times, that you will give us a fresh ability to declare our faith, whether we do it in our words or whether we do it in actions, that you, Holy Spirit, will come and you will enable us to live in a way that is pleasing to you in a way that is, is not as we would expect, people around us would expect us to live, but we would live in confidence, in your power, in your ability, in your goodness. We would live without worry this week because we know there is a God in heaven and we know that God is for us. Amen.